Um, we are glad you are here uh, together with us, whether you're online with us here or whether you're live today. Um, we're coming today to the final message of the series that we've been looking at in the book of First Thessalonians. Um, from here, we're going to begin our build-up to Easter and the celebration of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at a number of events over the next four weeks leading to that. So we're going to be looking at the final week of Jesus Christ. Um, just for your planner's sake, as we get down towards the Easter week, um, there are a lot of special services that we, we are going to have. Um, first of all, it's going to be on April 1st, the Thursday before Easter. We are once again going to be doing a Sedar meal, which is that, that last supper meal that, the, the, that Christ had with his disciples. I think it was about three, possibly even four years ago that we had one of the Sedar meals here. It, it is a wonderful, a first of understanding what was taking place at the last supper, what takes place at the Passover. Um, just an excellent time of, of worship together. And so, um, you know, we're going to probably have a sign up for that because we're hoping we can get the vast majority of the people at the church to participate in this because it is so special. Um, then on Easter, um, that morning, we're going to be having a 7 o'clock sunrise service. We'll let you know exactly where that's going to be. Hopefully, it'll be at the same park, the same place that we have been doing it in the years past. It's a very simple uh, service that we, we kind of sing, we kind of pray, we have a time of sharing, a time of fellowship with hot chocolate and donuts. It's about a half hour uh, type of service kind of to, to usher in uh, the Easter celebration. At 9 o'clock, we are going to be having an Easter breakfast here at the church. We're not going to be having ABF that day, but 9 o'clock, we're going to be having an Easter breakfast for everyone. At 10 o'clock, then, we're going to have our worship service and our Easter celebration, not at 1045. It's going to be at 10 o'clock because we have a lot of special things that are going to be taking place. It's going to be about an hour, hour and a half service. There's going to be lots of worship, lots of singing, lots of hallelujahing, all those types of things uh, for us as we celebrate uh, the resurrection. Well, as I said last week, um, the end of 1 Thessalonians is kind of crammed with numerous short biblical instructions, and a lot of those things just stand alone. And, and you're going to understand when we, we read that in just a moment here. And so we're going to kind of finish up. We started last week looking at a number of those, and, and this week we're going to uh, look at the rest of them. So I'm going to invite you again, if you will stand with me. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as God's word is read. I read verses 12 uh, through verse 22. It says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live at peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Maybe seated. Now, as you read this, you can see that some of these verses can be connected together, like verses 12 and 13, verses 20 and 21. Uh, we looked at them last week. Uh, they dealt with uh, sheep's relationship with the shepherd. In other words, the congregation's responsibility towards their, their spiritual leader. Um, can anybody remember what the title of that message was? 
That's right. Let's all say that together. Don't be a bad sheep. Okay, you guys got that point? Okay, we'll move on from there. Um, from there, a tremendous message last week. Uh, just as verse 12 and 13 dealt with a, a sheep to the shepherd's relationship, as we move forward and we get to verses 14 and 15, um, it's now going to shift to a different relationship. It's going to talk about the relationship of sheep to sheep, us to one another. I'm the shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. So all of ours relationship together is going to begin um, to talk about that. Let's read those verses again. Verse 14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So this is a lot here. You know, a lot of instruction that's been given to us so Rather than dig into all the specific things that it's telling us here, I very simply want to acknowledge why this is important. Why, why did he give us this instruction? What's the umbrella overall teaching and truth that we get from these two verses? And the answer is, the reason that we have been given this truth in these verses is because over the lifetime of a Christian, we are going to all need this at one time or another. Okay, there are going to be times, if, you are, if you've been a Christian very long, there are going to be times when your life gets out of line with your faith. When you sin by an action you do or an attitude or your, or your heart. You know, that, that's going to happen in your life as a Christian. There are going to be times when you lose heart, when you struggle in your faith. There are going to be times when life drains the strength out of you. There are going to be times when you need people to be patient with you, patient where you're at, and patient with your, your, your growth and, you know, where you're going. There are going to be times when you will get hurt and you'll want to strike back, you know, an evil for evil. And at those times, we will all need admonishing. We will need encouragement. We'll need patience. We'll need help. Folks, this is what the body of Christ is here for. This is what the body of Christ, this is what we are supposed to be to one another. Sheep to sheep. This is what he's talking about. Brethren, this is, this is our responsibility to one another. And, and this is a two-way street that he's talking about here. Not only am I at times called to come alongside a fellow believer when they need correction or when they need to be encouraged, or when they might need help, or might, they might need patience. Not only are we supposed to give that to the other person, but I also need to allow other believers to do that to me, you know, to do that to us. I need to welcome, I need to want other believers to correct me when my life gets out of line, or to encourage me in my faith, or to help me, or to be patient with me. I, I should want to be corrected when I stray into sin. I should want to be encouraged when I'm losing heart in my faith. You know, I should expect people to be patient with me and to bear, you know, a wrong towards me if, if that's what's called for. And, and again, I, I emphasize the two sides of this sword here because, you know, don't be too quick to say, well, of course we should want these things. I mean, let me ask you a question here. How well would you like it if someone came to you and talked to you about a sin in your life? How well would you receive it? Don't we get defensive? You know, and, uh, you know, we're not very happy about it. 
Matter of fact, in Christianity today, we rarely do this, you know, sheep to sheep, because there's so many other churches in the area, people just leave and they go elsewhere. You know, rather than dealing with their sin, you know, we just pick up, we'll go to another church. And as a result of that, we are cutting off one of God's greatest means to help us in our faith, and that's to let the body of Christ, you know, be Christ to us. And just as the Christ did when he was on this earth to the body of Christ, you know, he, he, he would call sin, sin. And we should want that in our life. We should welcome that. Galatians chapter 6, 1 says, Brethren, it says, If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. And we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to be helping one another. That's what the body of Christ is here for. Now, I've got to tell you, as a pastor, I do that. I, I have to do this. I mean, you know, not just as the body, but as a pastor. And I have, I've done this a lot, multiple times a year. Sometimes very directly, sometimes indirectly we're doing this. And I can honestly tell you, when you go to talk to somebody about sin in their life, a lot of times it doesn't go very well. Um, again, you know, the, the usual reaction is defensiveness to what they're doing because why? They're probably still doing it. And it's very, very difficult. Um, but it still needs to be done. I want to tell you, there are a handful of times that I've had to go into very, very difficult situations and talked about sin. That the believer saw the sin, repented of their sin, not unto me, to God, dealt with it to God, went away, their life changed. And their life flourished in their faith because they received this correction in their life as it's meant to be. Not as a judgment, not as, oh, I'm better than you, look at your problems, but as a restoring factor of a, a desire of not wanting to stand, something to stand between you and your relationship with God. And so it's very important that we do this, that we also allow people to do this. Let me ask you another question. How open are you to others stepping in and helping you when you're in need? You know, especially this church here, we, we are full of servants, of serving one another, of people that will, will go out of their way and, and give of their time to the Lord to, to reach out. And it doesn't have to, you know, to be our shut-ins, to our seniors, to, you know, just those who need help. We're full of that. But I, I got to tell you, I have found that Christians with servants' hearts are probably the worst for asking help. You know, they're great at helping others, but, you know, often they don't ask for help themselves and, and they suffer silently. It's hard for them to accept help. Well, the bottom line is being part of the church family means being involved with one another. It means being accountable to one another. You know, helping one another in, in their spiritual growth and in their lives. And that's, this is where we want. This is what we are developing. This is what we are focusing on specifically here, you know, at Colonial. That's what these, these verses, that's that umbrella truth of verse 14 and 15. Folks, you need to be involved with one another. This person sitting behind you, next to you in the pew, in front of you in the pew, you know, we're all each other's responsibilities to help us on this side of eternity, on this journey. Okay, let, let's move forward. We have a lot of individual things to get to. And again, a lot of them don't connect, but we're going to get to them all today. Um, verse 16. Uh, verse 16. Very simply... 
excuse me, verse, four, uh, verse 16, it says, rejoice always. There's a verse that you can memorize, isn't it? <laughs> Especially in our old days. Rejoice always. Uh, that is a common instruction through Scripture. Get to the back in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again, it is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. goes on in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Folks, at the heart of the word rejoice is the word joy. The word joy. Joy is one of those pillars of our faith. It's one of those things that our faith stands upon. It's joy. Joy is that inward quality. And often we try to wrongly confuse it with happiness. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an inward quality. Happiness is an external thing. Uh, it's your external circumstances. I may not be happy with what's going on in my life at any particular moment, but that isn't what joy is about. There is a, a lot that goes into being able to have joy. It, it, it talks about our belief. It talks about our trust in God. And very specifically, it talks about the sovereignty of God and trusting the sovereignty of God, that how God is working in your life right now that you trust him and that you believe him regardless of how good, how bad, a blessing, a trial, whatever it might be. Matter of fact, the true sovereignty of God is standing before God one day in eternity and looking back over your life and seeing some of these horrible, horrible things that may have happened in your life and saying, I mean, you're in there in eternity. We're with Jesus. You're in God. You're in heaven. Looking at all of it leading to this moment saying, I would do it all over again. Regardless of what it was that happened in your life, that I would choose it all over again. That is the joy to know what has come before us. I didn't do it all over again. The sovereignty of God, it's, it, it's hard for us to get our, you know, our, our minds around how all these things in our life and in your life and they're interacting with all these people around us, things good and bad, are all moving towards the, the glory of God. And it's hard for us to understand. And I wanted to somehow give you a, a visual of it. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to play a little video. It's about a minute here. It's kind of cute. You'll, we're going to start right in the middle of the video, but you'll understand it by the time we get to the end. Take 21. I'm Rolla Dawson. I'm Hamish Five. Please subscribe. And we'll see you next Saturday. Okay. I look at something like that. And I just shake my head and wonder at the ability to put all these things together, all these little actions and balls moving and, and this and that, hundreds of them working together to get to that, that, 
that great moment at the end where everything comes together. You know, I, I, I don't think I can do that. Folks, if two teenagers with a video camera and a lot of times on their hands can figure that out, do you not think that an almighty God can figure out your life and figure out how everything is working together? How every little detail, how every struggle, how every blessing, how every interaction all works that one glorious moment when we get to the end and that joy, that joy that is driving us, that joy of Jesus Christ, that joy of standing in eternity, receiving that reward forever and forever, that everything in your life work together. And there's a, you know, for us to have true joy, there's got to be a trust in that. There's got to be a trust, not just in the midst of, hey, things are going pretty good. God must be, you know, making all these things happening. And then suddenly when things start going bad in our life, you know, we begin to question God. There's got to be that trust. God, he's still there. God is going to use this. I don't understand this. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to connect the dots in what God is doing in our life, especially during times of trial. I might think about my salvation, how I came to know Christ. I'm not going to go into all the details, but, you know, I, I, I had a lot of bad family situations and circumstances you know, specific events that happened beforehand. Again, I, I'm looking back at how all these things work together, ultimately to leading me to people who will ultimately lead me to Christ. And, and, and just to see that God is doing that in your life. To rejoice always is what it's telling us as a Christian. To always have that joy. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But at at its heart is a belief and a trust in God's sovereignty. It's a trust in God's working. Whether you're going through blessings or whether you're going through a trial in your life. And Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, he exemplified what joy was. Matter of fact, yeah, I came across a verse in my just scripture reading this past week, and it just it hit me between the head. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. It says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Here it is, folks. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy and crucifixion. Those are not two words that you use in the same sentence very often. But for that joy that was before him, that, that future of realizing what it was going to be, your salvation, the redemption of a people, the buying back of, of people that have been lost in their sin, for that joy set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My friend, for the joy that is set before you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can we endure trials? Can we endure struggles? Can we endure setbacks? That's why we, we're called to have joy always because joy is, again, it, it's one of those the legs of a three-legged stool of our faith, you know, of, of when we come to know Christ, to, to have that joy. So we're told to rejoice always. Now, let me move on. We're going to look at another one of the, the legs of this stool. It says, pray without ceasing. Okay, pray without ceasing, verse 17. Prayer above all else, if we talk about, well, what is prayer? Prayer is an attitude of dependency, a, a connectedness to God, isn't it? It's a desire to have God saturate all of our life. Not just, you know, the few hours on Sunday morning that God's part of my life. 
Prayer is not just the moment when, you know, before we eat, we say, okay, let's pray, and we bow down for, you know, 10, 30 seconds or something, we pray. It's not, you know, the hour prayer meeting on, on Wednesday. That's not just what it is. Prayer is supposed to saturate our life. It's a connectedness to God to invite him into everything that is going on in our life, whether it's at home or work, whether it's during times of entertainment or relationships or trials or blessings, whatever it is, praying without ceasing, being a, having a connectedness to God. So in a sense, how we traditionally think about prayer, where I would say, would you please bow your heads and let's pray, you know, prayer is so much more than that. That's just a small part of it. Prayer is supposed to be like breathing to us. You know, we don't even think about breathing. It's natural. You know, it's, it's habitual. We just naturally pray. Our body knows how to kick it in and, and make it all happen. Uh, but our life depends upon it, doesn't it? There needs to be that constant flow. I mean, Christ should be everything to us in our lives. Including God in your day should become natural. It should become like breathing. You know, if, if your breathing gets hindered, you know, if you get your oxygen limited, your body suffers, doesn't it? And I thought, how can I, how can I help us to understand, you know, limited breathing? And then I thought, oh, we have all had masks. <laughs> we know how irritating that is. And we need to get rid of those hindrances that stop us between, you know, our relationship with the Lord, the distractions that we have. And just in, invite him in the very simplest way to be part of our life. We want our prayer connection with God to be uninhibited, immediate. It should be like when, when Peter, you know, was walking out to Christ on water and he began to sink. Instinctively, he did what? He said two words. He said what? Lord, help. At that moment, his life was connected, you know, to God. And that's prayer. You know, connecting our life to God. Okay, so we're to be rejoicing always, always having joy. We're to be praying, connecting to God at all times. The third leg of that stool, it says in verse 18, it says, in everything, give thanks. Okay, in everything, give thanks. Okay, while joy is an inward quality, giving thanks is an external quality. It's something, you know, that we, we do externally. You know, when, when we connect to God in our everyday life, when we see his hand moving when we're constantly acknowledging his presence, it's going to find its way out. You know, and you've all been around people like this, you know, that you bump into them and they just, you know, have something to say about God, something that God did in their day or somehow they connected with God, whether it was big or whether it was small. I mean, it doesn't have to be, God, thank you for protecting me when that semi crossed into my lane and I was able to get out of the way. It can be as simple as, God, what a simple beautiful sunrise that you've given us today or sunset that you've given us. You know, staying connected with God and letting, it's, it's going to come out in everything. Give thanks. Now, I want to draw these three things together. I want to draw your attention to the end of verse 18 here. Okay, it says in verse 18, it says, in everything give thanks, and catch this, it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look at it, the way that this statement is written and actually written in Greek, that statement, this is God's will for you, applies to the previous three statements that come before. Grammatically, it's written like that. So literally, it should read, rejoice, rejoice always, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing, 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, this is really, what he's talking about here is the very living essence of our faith. It all starts here. Because you can be here in the church. You can even be a Christian. You can serve and you can teach and you can give. But if you don't have inward joy, if you don't have a real connection with God, if you don't have this overflowing acknowledgement of God's hand in your life, folks, you're just going through the motions. You know, you're just, you know, putting on a show. These things are the essence of our faith that he's talking about here. Matter of fact, you can even think about these three things maybe from a little bit different angle. You know, think about them another way as, as, as a litmus test to let us know how our relationship in Christ is doing at the present moment. If this is God's will for you, for you to have joy and to be in prayer and connected with him and, and to be, have a thankful heart, if that's God's will for you, if you're looking at your faith and you see that your joy is missing, then you're out of God's will. Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of follow? If you look at your life and, and you find, you know, that you don't have that connected with, to God and everything in your life, it's great here at church, but you go away from it, it's not there. You're out of God's will. I mean, it's as simple as that. You know, if we don't have an overflow in our heart of what Christ is doing in our heart, we're out of God's will. You know, and again, don't take this as a criticism. God doesn't give, never gives us a criticism. Take it as a wake-up call. As I look at my life and I see, man, my joy is just not here. Now I know where to focus. You know, now I know where to put my attention. Or, or if I find myself kind of going off on my own, not including God in my life, now I know, hey, I've got to slow down just a little bit. You know, I've got to consciously, mentally bring God into the picture here. You know, and, and, and be able to speak with him at any time and at all times have him with me. I mean, again, these are litmus tests to give us. This is God's will for you. So if you're not having them, you're out of God's will, so you need to do something. Because he wants you to get back in to God's will. Okay, one final truth we're going to look at here. And that's in verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Um, to fully understand what that means, we need to remind ourselves what the work of the Holy Spirit is. Um, I just finished in my devotions, uh, Bible reading, I just finished a week or so ago reading John 15, 16, 17. Um, and that's where Christ is preparing his disciples for his ultimate departure. When he's crucified, he's resurrected, and he ascends back to heaven. And he spends a lengthy period of time, a lengthy period in prayer that's included for us, tell us, telling us how he is preparing us for when he was gone. Around about chapter 16, he begins to speak about the Holy Spirit. And basically what Christ says is that what Christ, what I have been doing with you, you know, teaching you, training you, traveling, leading you, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll do the same thing in you. I'm doing it with you, Christ is saying, but the Holy Spirit, who am I going to be sending, is going to do it within you. That's going to be the work. So very simply put, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is that, that just like having Christ, the disciples had Christ there with him. But we have God, the Holy Spirit, living within us. It says in John chapter 14, verse 15 and 17. Again, this is in that whole section that Christ is 
preparing his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in, with, he will be in you. Later on in John 15, verse 26, it says, When the Helper comes, speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Then in chapter 16, it says, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, within every single believer, every true Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. That's one of the, the marks to, to know that we're Christians, because the Holy Spirit is within us. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, In him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise and his glory. So in other words, very simply, you know, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, you heard the gospel message that Christ died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin on the cross. After you heard that, and after you believed it, after you received that in your heart, he said, then you were given the Holy Spirit. That's God's working in our life. So God, the Holy Spirit, lives within every single believer. He is that third person of the Trinity. And, and again, you know, I appreciate everything that God has told us about that, but I, I, I have a feeling it's just the tip of the iceberg of the Holy Spirit. And even to be able to understand, you know, God, the Holy Spirit living within us. So there's so much there. So we just accept it, that this is what God has done for us. And, and then just like when Christ was in humanity, you know, people had different reactions to Christ. And, and if you ever read the gospel, you see people always reacted differently to Christ. Well, the same thing happens with the Holy Spirit. We can do the same thing to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So as a Christian, I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, you are doing just as your fathers did. So you, a person can resist the Holy Spirit. In, in Matthew chapter 12, it talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And here in our text, it tells us to not quench the Holy Spirit. Well, the word quench there, it means to stifle or to hinder the, the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You know, you might literally put, you know, quenching, thinking of it like putting water on it. You know, uh, I've, I've got a burner at home, a wood burner, and I open that thing up and, you know, it's a, a huge fire. And I, I could honestly, if I took water, I could throw a lot of water there and it would diminish that fire. He said, don't do that to the Holy Spirit. That, that God burning within your heart, don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. 
Well, you may say, what's the difference between grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, they are different. Quenching is what you do to the Holy Spirit. Grieving is how it makes the Holy Spirit feel. We quench him, and it grieves the Holy Spirit's heart. And, you know, there are many ways for us to quench. There's many ways for us to hinder the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to give you a, a few. We're not going to go deep into them. Our sin. Whenever we sin, our actions, when there are, we do wrong actions, that quenches the Holy Spirit, hinders the Holy Spirit, and it grieves, ultimately, his heart. Here's one that we think about. In, in, in 1 Peter 3, it's teaching about husbands in relationships to their wives. And we know that the Holy Spirit helps us pray. And even when we don't know the utterances, it gives us those things to say, and it, it, it prays on our behalf. Well, look what it says, men, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 about our relationship with our wives. It says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So in other words, you know, men, when we don't show honor to our wife, you know, our prayers are hindered. And the Holy Spirit is hindered. It's, it, 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 it is quenched. When we diminish God's word in our life, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. And, and that is very easy to do today. When we allow humanism and our culture, you know, to, to begin to seep into our life and to override our thought process and how we view things and how we view sin that God says and, and because the world is making it mainstream and common and attacking us about our attitudes about it, it's very easy for us to quench it, to quench that stance, to quench the word of God. The whole idea of this is to stay plugged into the, your spiritual power source, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in so many different ways. And we've illustrated it before. It's like your kitchen. You have all sorts of appliances, electrical appliances in your kitchen. But they all run out of an outlet. The same electricity, the same power source. And, and you, you, do, you want to keep that unhindered. You know, so all those things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, you're not quenching it. You're not hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, that's a lot. Uh, that was probably about six messages <laughs> uh, that I gave you there real quickly here. Uh, let's, let's end this by doing some spiritual inventory. I, I just want you to ask these things of your own life, of yourself. Number one, are you actively involved as part of the body of Christ? Are you connected with the body of Christ to the point that people can come and help you in your faith, can correct you in your faith? can encourage you, can give you that patience, whatever it is that you needed. Are you there that people can do that to you? And are you connected enough to be able to do that to others? Because that's, that's what the body of Christ is all about. Number two, how is the core of your faith doing? You know, God's will for you to have joy, you know, to, to have a connected prayer with him, to have it come out in, in, in thanksgiving in our lives? How is the core of your faith doing right now? And third, are you allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to do in you what he's been given to you to do? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work? The very reason Christ died, the reason Christ left and gave us the Holy Spirit, are we, are we desiring for him to do that work in our heart? Let's pray. Father, um, I, I 
come before you very humbled by your word today. But very thankful, Lord, that you love me enough to, to put these things here and to encourage me in my faith and my walk with you. Father, that you don't want me to be floundering out here, but Father, you want me to be connected to you, to be connected to a body. And I thank you, God, for that. I thank you for your love for me. And I, I pray that you'll just help us each to search our own hearts. Father, you know, what is it that you're speaking to us about today? What is it that you're asking for us in your faith? And I pray that you will give us the spiritual fortitude, the spiritual courage, that commitment to you to open up our life bare before you, before your word, to let your word, you know, cut deep into our hearts to do its work. And then, Father, when you show us, Lord, that we will obey very simply. No questions, no debate. Just a simple childlike faith and trust and obedience. Thank you, Father, for the work that you're going to do hearts of your people here today. We've come together because of your son, Jesus Christ. We've come together, Father, because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And Father, now he is raised on high, seated next to you, Lord, in all of his glory, the first fruits, Father, of what is ahead for us who know you. God, I pray that that will be, make all the difference in our life this week. Whether it's going to be a, a week of blessings, a week of trials, whatever, Lord. Father, that you will be the difference in how we handled each and every one of them. I thank you, Lord. In thy son's name.